0: Good morning, and thank you for joining us on 5 at 8. It's Thursday, August 31st, 2023. And here's Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman with today's top news. In this episode, we'll talk about a new tool developed to track Russian attacks in Ukraine using seismic waves, Credit Suisse's reduction of its new markets business, an upcoming artificial intelligence forum hosted by U.S. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, the challenges faced by China's economy, and the concern of the highly lethal avian influenza reaching Antarctica. Story number one. In a report from the New York Times, researchers in Norway and Ukraine have developed a new tool to track Russian attacks in Ukraine by using seismic waves generated by explosions. By studying data from earthquake sensors around Kiev, the researchers were able to estimate the position and strength of each explosion, providing a comprehensive view of the Russian barrage. This method allows for the tracking of blasts at any time, picking up hundreds of attacks that were not previously reported. The objective measurements provided by seismic detections can help reveal intentional attacks on civilians and document wartime violations of human rights. This is truly groundbreaking, isn't it? The application of seismic detection in a war zone, it's like something out of a science fiction novel. What we're essentially talking about is using the very vibrations of the Earth, triggered by these horrific explosions to help document potential war crimes. It's a whole new way of logging attacks and could potentially serve as a powerful tool in the fight for justice.
1: It's a fascinating and sobering example of how technology can be used in such consequential scenarios. And what's particularly interesting is how this method can provide a more objective record of events. Traditional war reporting has its limitations, often being selective and influenced by the reporter's perspective. But by using seismic waves, we can track blasts at any time and place providing a more comprehensive and unbiased record.
0: And it's not just about creating an accurate record. It's also about countering misinformation. You know, in the age of social media with so many narratives and propaganda being pushed, having this kind of verifiable data is invaluable. It's like a reality check in the midst of all the chaos. Indeed.
1: But while the potential of this technology is promising, it's important to acknowledge its limitations. For instance, The seismic record has gaps. Attacks farther from the sensors are most likely to be missed, and the unique geology of certain areas can affect the detection of explosions. So, while it's a significant advancement, it cannot replace other forms of documentation and investigation, but should rather complement them.
0: Agreed, Linda. But let's not forget the potential humanitarian implications of this technology. Remember, Dr. Schutt mentioned how the data could guide post-war cleanup efforts and help locate unexploded munitions, which, as we know, continue to pose a threat to civilians long after the conflict has ended.
1: That's an important point, Mark. It's a stark reminder of how the repercussions of war continue to impact communities for years, even decades after the conflict ends. This technology, while developed in the context of conflict, can play a crucial role in post-conflict recovery and peacebuilding. It's a testament to human ingenuity, to leverage technology in the service of peace and justice.
0: Story number two. According to Reuters, Credit Suisse has announced that it will reduce its new markets business from September 22nd, as UBS integrates the bank. The move will mean that clients will no longer be able to increase positions or extend maturities. However, existing positions will continue to be serviced and flows to global wealth management and the Swiss bank will not be affected. UBS will focus on consolidating new client activity through its own legal entities. The integration of Credit Suisse is a significant step for UBS, and retaining existing clients will be crucial to its success. UBS will report its second quarter earnings on Thursday, its first results since taking over Credit Suisse. Why is UBS cutting back on new market business from Credit Suisse, Linda? I mean, it's not often we see a merger of this magnitude, right? Two global, systematically important banks coming together. That's huge. Yes, Mark, it's
1: quite significant. The reduction in new market business, I believe, is a strategic move to streamline operations post-merger. Mergers of this scale often require consolidating various aspects of the businesses to avoid redundancies and improve efficiency. Plus, absorbing a fallen rival like Credit Suisse is a complex process, with many moving parts.
0: Right, right, makes sense. That's got to be a tricky path to navigate. So how important is it for UBS to hold on to existing Credit Suisse clients during this whole process?
1: Oh, it's absolutely critical, Mark. In mergers, especially in the banking sector, client retention is a key success factor. Clients provide the revenue stream, and if they leave due to the merger... It could seriously impact the financial performance of the new entity. That's why we're seeing UBS continue to service existing positions.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And do we have any idea yet how this merger is going to affect UBS's bottom line? I reckon we're all waiting with bated breath for that second quarter earnings report.
1: Indeed we are, Mark. Mergers can create short-term financial stress due to the costs involved, but they also have the potential to deliver long-term financial benefits through increased market share, and cost savings from streamlined operations. So, the earnings report will offer crucial insights into how the merger is impacting UBS financially.
0: Well, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how this all pans out. Thanks for the insight, Linda.
1: Always happy to discuss, Mark. The banking sector never fails to keep us on our toes, does it?
0: Story number three. U.S. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is set to host an artificial intelligence AI forum on September 13th with the aim of discussing ways to address the risks associated with the emerging technology. Reuters reports that the forum will bring together various tech leaders and experts, including CEOs such as Sam Altman of OpenAI, Mark Zuckerberg of Meta Platforms, Elon Musk of Tesla, Sundar Pichai of Alphabet, Satya Nadella of Microsoft, Jensen Huang of NVIDIA, and Arvind Krishna of IBM. Other notable attendees, as stated by Reuters, include Bill Gates, Charles Rivkin, Eric Schmidt, Tristan Harris, Deborah Raji, and Alex Karp. The forum will provide an opportunity for these industry leaders to share their perspectives on AI and explore potential avenues for global coordination in this field. When I heard about this AI forum, I couldn't help but get excited— I mean, we're talking about some of the most prominent leaders in tech, all in one room, discussing the future of artificial intelligence. That's something, right? I'm particularly interested in what Sam Altman from OpenAI has to say. He's been pretty optimistic about global coordination on AI, and I think he's got a point. If we're going to make the most of this technology, we need to work together.
1: That's true, Mark. Collaboration is key, especially when dealing with technology as powerful as AI. But it's also vital to have diverse perspectives in these discussions. I'm glad to see names like Deborah Raji in the mix. Her work on the biases in AI systems is notable. It reminds us how important it is to consider the ethical implications of AI. We mustn't lose sight of that.
0: Absolutely, Linda. Couldn't agree more. You know, as I was reading about Elon Musk's comments, it got me thinking. While he's been a major proponent of AI, he's also warned about its potential dangers. It's like walking a tightrope, you know? Balancing the promise of AI with the possible risks it could pose. I guess that's why this forum is so important. It's a chance to have these tough conversations.
1: Indeed. And it's not just about balancing the promise with the risks. It's also about understanding the broader implications of AI. Like, when we look at IBM's stance on AI, they're not just talking about technological advancements— They're acknowledging how AI might impact jobs in the future. It's these nuances that really need to be addressed.
0: Right. And you know, it's not just about the implications for jobs. AI is permeating every aspect of our lives. Take meta platforms, for example. They're using AI to improve content recommendations and ad targeting. It's transforming the way businesses operate and how we interact with technology. But there's also the question of privacy and security. These things need to be part of the conversation, too.
1: Certainly. And as we consider these transformative impacts, we can look to our past for guidance. The advent of the Internet, for instance, drastically changed our world. There were significant benefits, but also challenges that had to be addressed. Similarly, as AI continues to evolve, we'll need to navigate its complexities with wisdom and foresight.
0: Story number four. China's economy is facing significant challenges, including slow growth, high youth unemployment, low foreign investment, weak exports and currency, and a property sector in crisis. According to the BBC, U.S. President Joe Biden has described China's economy as a ticking time bomb, while Chinese leader Xi Jinping has defended its resilience and potential. The property market is a central issue, with falling prices leading to decreased household wealth and a lack of post-pandemic spending. China's economic model, which heavily relies on building infrastructure, is also showing signs of strain. The country needs structural and institutional reforms to generate prosperity. However, as reported by the BBC, the government has tightened regulations and maintained a top-down approach, leading to difficulties in absorbing a high number of graduates into the labor force. Despite concerns from foreign investors, the BBC states that the Chinese government has made only minor adjustments to address the economic challenges, possibly due to a focus on long-term growth and national security. In a report from the BBC, it is highlighted that China's leadership is prioritizing ideology and control, which may hinder effective governance and lead to civil unrest or foreign policy actions. The government faces a unique set of challenges and may need to address fundamental issues for the future of China's economy. Good to see you, Linda. So, I've been thinking about the recent news on China's economy. It's pretty clear that China has gotten quite a lot of mileage out of its infrastructure-heavy, building-based expansion. But, you know what they say about all good things, right? They eventually come to an end. And it looks like China's rapid growth might be hitting the brakes.
1: The reliance on infrastructure development has been a hallmark of China's economic policy for decades, and it's brought about impressive growth rates— But, as you rightly pointed out, there are signs of strain. The property market situation, for instance, has become a significant issue. It's not just about the economy. It's about people's life savings, their hopes for the future.
0: It's no secret that owning property in China is seen as a symbol of success and financial security. But with the slump in the property market, folks are feeling the pinch. And it's not just the property owners. The ripple effects are being felt across the economy. We're not seeing the post-pandemic spending boom that many economists were expecting.
1: Right. And that's where the issue of the economic model comes into play. The question is, can China continue to rely on its building-oriented model, or is it time for a shift? The country has seen amazing growth with this approach, but the cracks are starting to show. The high levels of youth unemployment suggest that the economy is struggling to absorb new entrants into the workforce.
0: Couldn't agree more, Linda. It's a bit like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. The old centralized model worked well when China was in full-on building mode. But now that the dust has settled, it seems the economy needs to adapt. The question is, how do you make that transition without causing too much disruption?
1: That's the million-dollar question, Mark. And it's not just an economic challenge, it's a political one, too. The Chinese Communist Party has tightened its grip on various sectors— and it seems unlikely that they'd be willing to loosen that grip anytime soon. But the situation demands flexibility, perhaps even a shift towards a more open economic model.
0: Right on the money, Linda. Economic transitions are never easy. And when you add in the political dimension, it's like trying to juggle while riding a unicycle. But hey, China has navigated tough waters before. It'll be interesting to see how they handle this one. Story number five. Scientists are concerned that the highly lethal form of avian influenza, known as H5N1, which has caused bird flu outbreaks in Europe, Africa, and Asia, will make its way to Antarctica, as reported by the New York Times. The virus has already reached South America, resulting in the deaths of over 500,000 seabirds and 25,000 sea lions. With over 100 million birds breeding in Antarctica and the surrounding islands, as well as numerous marine mammals, the impact of the virus could be devastating. The virus has the potential to cause a high death toll among Antarctic wildlife, particularly species like the emperor penguin and Antarctic fur seal that gather in large colonies. The virus, which emerged in 2020, has caused significant outbreaks on poultry farms and has spread widely in wild birds and mammals. The virus's arrival in Antarctica, a continent with few immune defenses against the pathogen, could have severe consequences for the already vulnerable wildlife populations. It is crucial to monitor the spread of the virus and take conservation actions to protect the species, as stated by the New York Times. Who'd have thought, Linda, that a bird flu outbreak could pose such a global threat, not only to humans, but also to wildlife populations across the world? As the H5N1 virus spreads down the Pacific coast, the sheer scale of the impact on seabirds and marine mammals is just staggering.
1: The loss of life is deeply troubling. More than half a million seabirds and 25,000 sea lions reported dead in Peru and Chile alone. It's not just about numbers, but how it can disrupt the balance of an entire ecosystem. Devastating ripple effects can ensue, affecting other species and even local communities.
0: Yeah, it's like a domino effect, isn't it? One species gets hit and then it leads to repercussions throughout the food chain. When it comes to Antarctica, though, the stakes are even higher. Over 100 million birds breed there, many in large colonies. If the virus reaches there, we're potentially looking at a major catastrophe.
1: And let's not forget, the species in Antarctica have likely never faced this virus before. Their immune defenses are likely unprepared. The mortality rate could be alarmingly high. It's worrying to think that some species already facing other threats, like climate change or human activities, may not be able to withstand this additional pressure.
0: Right, Linda. It's not just a case of bad luck for these creatures. It's a brutal double whammy. And for some species, like the southern pintail and the Macquarie shag, which are restricted to just a few islands, an outbreak could mean a total collapse. The consequences are gut-wrenching.
1: It's a grim picture, Mark but it underscores the importance of vigilance and rapid response. As Dr. Kuykin points out, we may not be able to prevent the virus from reaching Antarctica, but we can monitor its spread, identify the species at risk, and plan our conservation efforts accordingly.
0: Couldn't agree more, Linda. It's a bit like firefighting. You can't always prevent the fire. But swift action can limit the damage. And in this case, the fire is a deadly virus. And we're racing against time to protect our planet's precious wildlife. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow.
1: 5 at 8 is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.